your uh, political journey? Um, I mean, if people want to ask me about it, I'll talk about it, but I don't... There's already been too many episodes lately all about me, and I feel like I'm hogging the spotlight, so I do have news and all sorts of updates, but um, we can get into that if people want to later, but for now... Why don't we wrap up with that, then? You want to start off with that, then? Or, no, well, we can either start I'll off wrap with, up it, with it, or yeah, if you prefer, like at the end. I thought you meant wrap up. Um, not ramp. Wrap. Okay. Wrap. Okay. I on it. Okay. Um, well then, Erica, since this is your episode, would you like to kick us off? Yeah, for sure. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Transcending Humanity. I think this is 33. Yes, it's 33. 33, which is wild. I know. About our humble beginnings and here we are at 33 we're almost a year uh, old right uh so we're coming back to one of the things we used to do a little bit more regularly through last spring and summer and fall and we just kind of fell apart because life is life so we're going to be talking about trans joy um as always with trans joy we have to make time to celebrate the good things in our life um because there's so much bad in the in the public eye, in the media, in politics, that you can really start to drown in those feelings, right? Yeah. And so we start to miss the things that are good and that we're happy about, whether that's um, euphoria that you're having with your gender or just good things that have happened in your life. I think it's also always important to share in other people's joy as a community. You know, that's one of the ways in which we look out for each other and raise each other up is in sharing our joy. So we're going to we're going to talk about that tonight. Hopefully everybody here has something to express. And since we have Zach with us, we would love to hear just your joy as well, Zach, that's happening in your life. Um, so I, I guess I'll go first. I've got a couple of things. And then um, I have a few things that I've sourced from some friends around the interwebs. Um, so the first thing for me is that I'm really excited about, I have been working on a DEI certification through Cornell University, and I am almost done. I am in the midst of my last class, which should wrap up in two weeks, and I'll have nice. that certification. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. And I, yes, it is. And I plan to focus on the tech space, right? You know, so I've got a lot of friends that work in DEI across various industries. And one of the things they have said universally, there's not really people approaching DEI practices from a tech lens. Um, So my goal is to help companies learn how to build inclusively instead of exclusively. Most often as a person who works in tech and is in the halls of technology, we're building for abstract people, but really, we're really just thinking about the finger pressing the button. Mm -hmm in our apps. And that's not a good way to think about people. And when you think about that way, then you're building for whoever's in the room, which is typically a 35 year old white guy. Right. (laughs) So it's really, really hard because those are the people in the room. Right. So it's really hard to make sure we're building tech that includes people instead of excludes people. So I want to help companies start to really focus on those efforts. Use our innovation to drive inclusion and belonging and help change the landscape, right? And we've seen some incidences of this, like where we've seen like the Apples and the Googles of the world get behind massive social justice issues and help change them and sometimes not 
Um, so jumping into that, being someone, there's not very many people like me that want to do that in tech. So that's one thing I'm excited about doing. Uh, something that happened just earlier tonight, before jumping on the show, I was returning from the grocery store because it's going to snow again here in the DC area tomorrow. So we'll have probably two more inches and tomorrow's the day, yesterday, tomorrow's the day we normally go to the store. So we didn't want to deal with it. And while we were there, we ran into two friends that, you know, basically uh, their kids and our kids are involved in some of the same youth leagues and youth groups. And so we've, we've seen these people quite a lot and gotten to know them. And the wife, Cisco, um, she's like, while well, we're literally standing in the produce aisle and I'm holding bananas. Says, you know, Erica, I love your style. Every time I see you, you're always very well put together. You're very stylish. And I just, I love it. And um, I feel frumpy next to you. Would you go shopping with me and help me find my style? And I was like, <gasps> you know, like clutching the pearls, gasp. And um, it was really affirming and really exciting to have this woman be like, you know what you're doing. Could you help me? So I love that. Um, and then like a third thing is um, I've really been working on increasing my group of my, my squad, my group of friends. I have people like Jess and Vanessa and getting to know Zach more and other people have been on the show, but um, recently I've added two Siskals to my group that uh, I feel really comfortable with and really home with and feel very included with. And I just, I love having people that are like besties in my squad and um, a couple months ago, I got connected with a gal in the UK who's trans, Pat, who's a friend of the show. She's never been on the show. And I talk to her almost every day. And it's just really nice to continue to build other female friends that are trans or cis and feel like my worldview matches so many other women's worldview. And I just want to call that out, how good it is. Get out there, make those friends, make them internet. Pat's introduced me to other people in the UK. So I have more friends in the UK than I ever thought I would have. Um, and I'm, I might go there this year to visit all these people. So I just love making friends. Uh, I have some other sources to share from other people, but if one of y'all wants to go for a while, we can jump to that. Let's do Zach next. Zach, what's happening in your world? What are you happy about? I mean, honestly, I've been thinking about everything that's been going on with me from my advocacy in the disability community to me reaching new mediums to speak out, such as this podcast and other podcasts as well, um, to really just having job security, um, having a roof over my head, living in an expensive neighborhood that I should not be able to afford but can, because <laughs> I live in New York, so New York City's Upper East Side. No way! It is, it is no joke how expensive shit is out here. No. <laughs> Um, so I consider myself an anomaly because I should not be able to live here and live comfortably, but I've been living here for three years now. Um, so I think my joy isn't just one thing. It's that I'm at a point in my life where I'm content with everything. And it's been a long time coming for me to feel this way. I got to say, I love a long that. Time, I mean, a long time. Mm -hmm. So many people can never even achieve that. Right. And mm -hmm. the fact that you're there at such a young age, Zach, that is amazing. Me young? Huh? <laughs> We're all young. 
here. Um, yeah, that's that's amazing, Zach. I um, when I got to that point in my life where I felt secure, like when I can count on the paycheck coming in every week and count on making rent or mortgage and paying all the bills, and then when I got to the point of having like just a little bit extra, like it was such a weight lifted, and I didn't realize how much paycheck to paycheck or being less than paycheck to paycheck for me in my life was such a stressor. Mm. So I, I always celebrate people when they find that sense of security in their lives and get things stable and feel like they can thrive. Yeah. And I've got a small circle of close friends, which is really all I need because I'd rather have a small, uh, a small circle of close friends than a bunch of acquaintances. Yeah. <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah, I'm, you know, things are, Things are at a high point for me right now, but it doesn't Love mean that. my drive isn't going to stop. There's always there's always more room for me to go. Mm -hmm. But it's nice. Ooh. I would love to like dial in on that really quickly, Zach. Yeah. So it's something that I've kind of wrestled with from time to time as well. Like when I'm feeling content or especially secure in my world, I feel like uh, where did my advocacy go? Like how do you how do you like and I'm starting to realize, like, I don't need a sense of, like, my world falling apart to be an advocate. But there's a part of me that I've tied to that. Like, how do you how do you manage that? Oh, I just basically look at my life and ask myself, why can't other people have this? Yeah. Why do they have to work as hard as me or harder than me to get to not even get to this point, but to get to somewhere like it. Um, I mean, really, people should get what they need when they need it. And I think we're just overworked and tired and stressed. And I, I don't think like yeah. that's how people should be. I'm not it saying you, don't have, you shouldn't work, but you really shouldn't spend your life you really shouldn't um work to live yeah yeah as everybody is doing now mm -hmm. so. having your needs met huh really having your needs met really yeah. is like a basic human right and i i know because capitalism it's not here <laughs> and in many other places right that's a lot of the roots go to because capitalism yeah and um, it's wild to me the amount that people have to struggle to get just cover the basics in their life in a society that has sent people to the moon, that we carry the world's knowledge in the pocket of our pants and a phone. Mm -hmm. um, and those are the things like, I'm glad that you said that because that's reminding me of when I think about how good my life is and how much ease there is as a trans person, it really fires me up to be like, it should be that way for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Which is, in its own sense, a sense of joy. Like, purpose is, is a sense of joy, right? Yeah, it is. It's so hard for people to find a sense of purpose or just a hobby today. Um, I hear a lot, I hear a lot of this with, with especially young men that feel like they're isolated from their group or they yeah. don't have a purpose or a passion. So they just kind of sit and they wallow. And 
it really just it shouldn't it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. I agree. The the fellowship that men don't have is is quite pro- problematic and I'm glad that I've transitioned into a lot more fellowship than I used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, easy. But then like, you know, not to kind of get off topic with Joy here, you know, those those of our part of our family that are non-binary and, and leaning mask or trans mask, like this is something that they express. When we have Jess here, maybe they'll talk about it. But, you know, kind of feeling like you lose that. How do you maintain, how do you build those circles of community within your local area? Because I think that's what a lot of people are missing. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious too with like, I mean, I definitely think that there's a a push for that for more masculine leaning folks or men in society because of like just the expectations of toughness and independence and whatever. But it we don't have an updated definition of masculinity for the 21st century. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, and I also wonder like how. I've pondered on how technology has affected that, um, you know, mostly in a negative way. Uh, And I mean, you know, social media, but even just um, the, the kind of the comfort that we've all gotten used to um, being so isolated or having that be more routine. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's something kind of really struck me. It was sometime last year. And I think it was, I was reading some article about virtual reality and, you know, Google and Meta both developing like the VR glasses or the AR glasses, the VR glasses, what the difference is mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And and kind of somebody kind of bringing up the point of one of the obviously writers in one of the articles I was reading saying like, you know, you're really we're really already pretty much living in a virtual reality. I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of platforms that we use that mm-hmm. are basically little tiny virtual reality yeah. universe in general in them. yeah mm-hmm. and i mean but the way that it is right now it's like i mean social media even it's it's like they're all their own little virtual reality mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know and yeah you may not be able to drop in as an avatar and look around in this whole virtual reality scape but like mentally you are kind of in a dark Escaping. room with millions of other people mm-hmm. right yeah doom so, scrolling yeah and and i think that um I think that's something that has, even though there are ways that technology and even social media can be positive. I mean, this is a really good example of how we're using technology right now in a way that I feel like is really positive to yeah. to come together and collaborate, you know, and this moment, the four of us to come together as a group for this kind of, for this podcast, for this venture as a larger group, you know, um, and using the platforms that enable us to mm-hmm. do that and all of that. But it's like, I think that people in general have become more isolated. And I think that specifically men, masculine leaning folks and young people um, are specifically like have feel even more of the negative effects of that. I think, I think it just seems like it's exacerbated Mm -hmm. in those groups as well of like that isolation. So my question is if you're transitioning from a man to a woman or vice versa, how does that affect your definition of what of what masculinity or what femininity is? That's a great question. Anybody want to feel that one? That just kind of broke my brain. 
Well, I'll give it a stab. As as someone who's gone from what the world thought was a guy to actually revealing themselves as a woman, I always struggled in masculinity, Zach, and, and in masculine spaces. I always overshared. I expressed too many emotions. I wanted to discuss too many deep topics. Um, I had to learn about sports that I didn't care about in order to fit in. Um, I had to learn not to cry in front of other people. Um, And control my hand movements. I always talk with my hands. If you had met me prior to now, most people assumed that I was gay. Um, because I had a very sort of effeminate, um, personality and it was really just, that was all I I was working my ass off to mask that as much as possible. So for me, I think it's not so much that I changed my idea of what masculinity was as much as I let go of the fact that I didn't fit into it. Mm. I can definitely, definitely feel that. Like throughout my life, I have always gravitated towards hanging out with women and just being around guys, just the dudes speak and, you know, just fucking drove me crazy. Um, and like, even as an, an employer, I found myself hiring way more women than I did men just because I didn't want to be around all that. Oh, I, all that macho testosterone bullshit. So, and now I know why. Yeah. I've always had like, like, like you, uh, Vanessa, more female friends than male friends. I did have good male friends, but Mm -hmm. interestingly, the male friends that I, that stuck around were the ones that were interested in deep conversations and sharing emotionally, though none of them, well, none of them have said they are trans to Mm -hmm. me, but they were people that could meet me on that level. That are the ones that I was, I was close to. but I also think that um, I had to let go of some some ideas of what it meant to be a woman as well. You know, because when you're thinking about, oh, I don't fit in and, and should I be this or that, I had to sort of grow into that when I gave myself permission. Yeah. Right. You know, I think and a lot of us go through go through I had to find my I had to find my way. And I, you know, here at two two years in. Um, I'm still discovering new things every day. I'm, I'm like, I was just talking to my partner the other day about, I'm trying to explore the ways in which I need to allow myself to be softer, but also allow myself to be more direct and firmer mm-hmm. as a woman, like sort of drawing the line between it's not masculine or feminine. It's the qualities of softness and strongness. Right. Mm-hmm. That's legit. Mm-hmm. What'd you say, Vanessa? I said that's legit. Yeah. Too what legit. about you, Jess? Well, I'm non-binary, so I mean, I think it's just all made up, you know. <laughs> it's all <laughs> made up. Well, what's? <laughs> I guess um, to sort of reframe, you know, Zach's question. What's been your experience of like, hey, don't quite fit that or that? Yeah. No. I mean, I think. Um, I think that. Uh, my feelings around it have shifted a little bit because, um, I mean, I haven't, I, I went through, you know, sometimes people talk about before people, sometimes before people transition, they go through like a hyper, um, 
like a mm-hmm. hyper gender phase where they they're trying they mm-hmm. kind of are trying to assimilate to the gender they were born into right mm-hmm. before they mm-hmm. are finally like okay you know i'm i really tried really hard and i just can't do it i'm trans you know like um this is just mm-hmm. really not me and that was just all way you know way too much of a painful performance um i think that like i i went through that um when i was like a a teenager um and you know really came out very androgynous when I pretty much came out as queer, you know, and that was like, was using those terms like androgynous and genderqueer and all of that. So it's like, I feel like I was kind of have had kind of already rejected femininity in the, in the kind of standards that are imposed on girls or those ideas of women. But it's like, at the same time, like I never, um, I never felt like I, you know, really fit any of those, uh, masculine stereotypes either. Really. I've always just, I personally have always just been a blend, you know, and that's me Mm -hmm. as far as what I think of it. You know, I think there's, I, I do think that like, you know, our construction of masculinity and femininity, um, I think that there's strength in that and there's positive aspects of both, but I do also think that it is one of the big kind of downfalls of our current society that we that we box people in in certain in in certain ways you know that you can't be mm-hmm. that it's that it's hard to be soft and strong as a woman mm-hmm. or it's hard to be um you know sensitive as a man without feeling like you're betraying femininity or masculinity um and i think when i really came around to like owning my transness in you know the last several years it's been a, some of that has been like realizing that i don't like a lot of the negative aspects of masculinity and so i haven't wanted to own that as much mm-hmm. i really had wanted to stay in this very very androgynous lesbian space but also recognizing that like that really wasn't my truth either. And that I really was very much, you know, a trans kid and had then layered a lot of kind of various masking on top of that to try to survive and, you know, get into adulthood and get my own life going. And so, you know, kind of finding a way to like, take take the positive aspects of masculinity for me, um, and, and be able to like lean into those more, um, which some of that has been very, like, I mean, just even physical, um, you know, or just like working out, you know, actually being working towards getting Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. medical procedures that I wanted, things like that. But, um, but at the same time, it's like, for me, there's always this aspect of like, I will, I will always be kind of soft in certain ways, like, Like, I mean, just with like in friendships or, you know, with my kid, like I'm always going to be, I mean, I'll like be, you know, firm, but like soft. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if that's an aspect of femininity can, you know, if that's still considered feminine, that's probably to me, like the way that I'm still feminine is the way that I can be like kind of more emotionally soft, not in the way that I'm like crying a lot or something, because that has shifted now, you know, it's like. I mean, it's like, it's always, always like Aaron Reed always gets me, you know, but, (laughs) but like, um, but, you know, even just, um, 
and not being quite so emotionally volatile as I, as I used to feel with different hormones in my system. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but definitely still not wanting to let go of any of that softness, um, that I think is part of something that is hard for masculine people to own. Yeah. There really is like a, it really is a process of shedding what is not true about you to uncover what is true, right? What I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but at, at the core, that's kind of what we're talking about, which it's, it's always wild to me when people have such a problem with this because I mean, if you can't identify with shedding what's untrue about yourself to embrace what's true, like, I don't, what are you doing on this planet, man? Right? <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I, I love that take, Jess. Like, how are we, how do we disconnect femininity from softness and masculinity from strength, mm-hmm. right? How do you embrace those qualities within yourself, regardless of your your gender expression? The societal norms, just, they just, society is so completely obsessed with a binary. And our non-binary friends just smash that and it makes people uncomfortable i personally think it's absolutely amazing um society lives in the past so much and we keep getting dragged back by one thing or another um but if anything we're just the next step in human evolution so i mean i I think it all has to do with grasping onto concepts and if people hear a concept but they don't have a visual to grasp it with then they're gonna view it as a negative because they don't understand like this is what i i meant when i first met you and started leaving comments on your post about how first it was gay rights and gay marriage um in the 2010s and i think the 2020s is going to be society's transition into acceptance of the uh, trans and non-binary community because it takes it takes time to get to the front of the public consciousness that you're here so i think you know this is all part of that 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 part part of the transition of the lgbtq Mm -hmm. um ai plus community fully into the american consciousness i hope you're right my friend i hope you're right I think that's pretty accurate though, because I mean, I mean, first of all, the, a lot of the pushback, the right wing is the playbook is very, I mean, it's like the same thing. It's like the same playbook. It's like all the same arguments, a lot of the same. There's no way we could have this conversation if we're we're even 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I just, I have already shifted. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is it's, it's, you know, the, what um the resistance is its own tell um that and and we you know we've discussed i think it was maybe in the last episode that um you all talked about like how the um it it's not it's really not likely that it's you know it's not like that there are really all that many people against trans people it's the vocal few that are the extreme yeah. right. and really what it is 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 it's the um the fact that the conservatives think it will drive people to the polls 
um, you know, that this is the issue that they actually polled on several different issues yes. uh, before coming into even before these last election cycles. I feel like it was maybe um, I'm not going to say the years right, but I know it was like after 2016 um, that they started to do some polling on some different issues within um, conservative side of politics. And and it basically was that, you know, people would come out to to speak out against trans people. And I think it's to your point. Zach, like more of the idea of like, it's the unknown. And Mm -hmm. so it's going to be like, well, no, I don't want that, you know, kind of almost in like a, uh, uh, well, kind of in like a NIMBY, um, way, but, you know, even in the, the, um, the same vein that people would come out against, um, homosexuality when, when so many people were in the closet and it just wasn't as known, Mm -hmm. um, and it just wasn't as, as, uh, prevalent in society, but it's definitely that, um, the noise about it is, is more of just kind of like a flag. Um, I think that, um, you know, just that trans people happen to be the current scapegoat, um, for the conservative party, but it's also a sign. I think that society is turning and, and this is kind Mm -hmm. of like, the hold the you know people digging in their heels um but way even more than that it you know i think it is just a um hopefully a failing uh, it really seems like in a lot of ways it's a failing mechanism to try to um to try to like pull together a republican party that is like falling apart pretty much right. it's, it's absolutely shredded shredded yeah I am. Um, I'm old enough to remember the gay panic and the AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s. My dad, my dad's gay. He came out in the 70s, um, and I remember watching him go through that, trying to navigate life as a business owner in Atlanta, uh, as a somewhat out gay man with a partner that he had to always introduce as his business partner. I don't think anybody ever thought that my my stepdad was his business partner, and. Um, you know, it was it was sort of wild to grow up in that time, knowing all of their friends, growing up with drag queens in the house, effectively, but also watching them a few drop like flies because of the mm-hmm. AIDS crisis and sort of hearing. Terrifying. I know that message. I know that message, the same one they're using today, which is the same one they used in the civil rights movement, which is the same one they used during McCarthyism, right? It's just the same recycled message that's thinly veiled white nationalism right and i know we've already taken like this dark turn away from joy but it is a it's important message it's important and um i have to find this study i don't know if i've mentioned on here before but i came across something recently that during times of national or global crisis so think about covid think about 9-11 think about uh vietnam world war ii um world war the the great depression world war one many, many, many countries turns towards nationalism and xenophobia and particularly white nationalism as a way, as a response to the fear of the world getting out of control. And what coincides with that every time is coming out against marginalized communities, right? It is it is a direct, so we just came in a COVID. So that's another reason why it is a hot topic mm-hmm. because nations have turned towards like, I need to really take care of myself right now which breeds white nationalism and breeds xenophobia, that fear starts to sell. And eventually it recedes. And then we all kind of go about our business and we start to make strides again. But every time that there's going, every time there's a national or global crisis, we see this happen like clockwork. Mm. 
And I, my hope is that throughout time, eventually we respond to it less and less and less by going after the people that have the least. All right. Anyways, that's my soapbox. Uh, who else has some joy to share today? I guess I can go. Um, one of the first things is throughout all this mess of me being infamous in the national media over the past two weeks, and it's starting up again. Um, the outpouring of support that I've had from so many people is absolutely wonderful. Um, having the opportunity to talk to Aaron and Zoe was like, that was like ultimate fangirl moment for me to be able to do that. Yeah. So um, I'm trying not to abuse the fact that I have Aaron's phone number now, but you know, I do text her updates on what's going on here in Ohio. So, but that's pretty cool. That yeah, cool. it is. Um, but yeah, just being able to actually talk about the trans experience here in Ohio to people and try to get the word out is, is major. Um, There was an excellent, I was interviewed by extra magazine out of, it's a queer magazine in Canada and they wrote a lovely article. Um, Mm -hmm. It was a great article. Yeah. It was written by um, a trans person and you can just see that perspective, you know, laid out in there and just that kind of stuff does give me hope. And the amount of, as I said, the amount of outpouring of support I've had from so many strangers really helps drown out all the bad because I'm one of those people that still, you know, you never read the comments. I still read the comments and, you know, that can, that that can do a number on your, on your brain. But, um, my other trans joy is I had sex for the first time a couple weeks ago. I lost my Wait, my real? second virginity. Yeah, I lost my second virginity. Um, Wait, second? Well, yeah, I've, I'm post top, so I no longer oh, okay. have a pe- I no longer have a penis. Um, it was not with someone with a penis. It was with someone with with uh, an AFAB person, but mm-hmm. it was. Way to give yourself an extra life. uh, Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) So um, I'm still learning to be, you know, comfortable with my body in that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was transformative, I guess you can say. So (laughs) after two years, Vanessa finally got laid. And it was, yeah. Transformative is a great word. Yeah, isn't it? Because like, mm-hmm. I I don't know how it is once you've started tea. I don't know like where the nerve endings and stuff change for you, but like everything's different. Um, estrogen rewires rewires your nipples, and I have a clitoris now, um, and that thing's fun. Um, and orgasms are different, and everything's different. So, yeah. Uh, that that was my. Did you communicate before or during? What do you mean about, about how to? Because you said it was your first time. So did you communicate with the person about where your limits are, where you can push boundaries, or did you do that during? Oh, during um, 
Well, we kept it fairly vanilla just because I'm still pretty recently post-op and things are still pretty fragile down there. So, Mm -hmm. but it was more of a exploratory venture than anything. So, um, honestly, I would much rather have someone scratch my back than have sex, but that's just me. So, um, but scratching your back feels like it. Yeah. I mean, because for years, all of the, all of the sex I've had um, in the past was when people thought I was a guy Mm. and I, a lot of trans women echo this in that our sex drive for a lot of us seems to be less about having sex and more about being with a naked person of the body that you wanted to have. And so now actually, since I have that body or I'm working on having that body, um, my priorities can change for it. So like before when I had sex, I just wanted to get it over with so I could just have the afterglow and just cuddle and just enjoy the person. Um, Now it's different. So. Mm -hmm. Well, that's very good news. Very joyful news. We love that for you, Janessa. So that was a nice distraction from all this bullshit going on. Though I think I have a yes. infection now. So welcome to womanhood, oh. Vanessa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jess, did you give us any joy? I don't recall. I, I don't think I've gone yet. I don't know how I could follow that up, possibly, but I'm going to try. <laughs> You're on the spot to come after that try. one. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, different direction. Well, see, I was hoping I could come, I could come down tonight and say, you know, trans joint haircut. Cause that's always a really simple one for me. But again, I'm mm-hmm. kind of, I'm, I'm very fuzzy up here because it's cold. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through that this next week or so, but. Um, as he was a pair. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. it happens. Um, but yeah, I think my biggest part of trans, you know, my biggest point of joy and I do have a connection to trans joy has been I I mentioned the last time I was on the podcast that I had this um course I was going to launch I actually launched two online courses through the organization that I founded um last year and I finally got those out I've been working on those for like 6 months um so that was just a huge huge project to get out the door um which was a big deal and um I kind of it's it's was a really cool project. Obviously I'm super like relieved that it's published and it's out there. Um, and I can focus on other things, um, related to it, mostly like doing some social posts and trying to uh, get people to actually know that the site exists at this point. Um, but the, I think for me, really the, the biggest thing about it was kind of really just getting right with myself in the whole process. Um, And I think a lot of that for Mm -hmm. me is like how it connects specifically to actually to like my transness, because I feel like before I really owned that label and really felt like I am totally authentic and, and I'm like proud to call myself trans, there was a part of myself that I was kind of holding back and and it came across in all sorts of ways and a part of like uh kind of a part of my brain that was not as free as it is now um i didn't have as i didn't feel like i had as much capacity as i did and it was also just like um 
confidence. Um, and I don't think that that's like the hormones as much as it's like the decision to transition and whatever that looks like mm -hmm. for me, the decision to be mm -hmm. on this journey and, and, and really love myself to the fullest. And like, to me, I think that like, without that process, I don't know if I ever would have launched these courses because I don't think I would have really yeah. believed yeah. in myself a hundred percent. I think <laughs> I would have been holding back in a way or like, you know, somewhat like related, unrelated to this trans journey for me has been the last few years letting go of like my own workaholic tendencies and kind of perfectionism tendencies. Mm -hmm. And like this project has taken a really <laughs> long time to get out the door, but it also, I also kind of just own the fact that like, I sometimes am more methodical and like, I, it's this, this whole organization for me is like, it's just me. It's like, I've just self-funded it. I don't have anybody else, you know, breathing down my neck on a timeline or anything like that. And that aspect of it has allowed me to just be like, you know what, mm -hmm. I'm on vacation this week. I'm actually not going to work on this thing every night. Or, you know, like my kid's sick this week. I'm going to let this go. I'm going to put this down. It'll be there when I come back, you know, when I have time for it. And kind of that part of it, again, with like really recognizing and being able to love myself and feel authentic, um, you know, has just been awesome to just like, to just like push through it, but not from that perspective of kind of how I used to approach work, um, which is luckily how I, I no longer approach work that way. So, so that's been really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's just been a really big, um, a big deal, but also just me kind of recognizing that, that, um, for me, living my truth has just opened my life up in so many ways to just be more comfortable. And, and it also really has invigorated that kind of side of advocacy that, um, I've had put down for a really long time. I was like a really big advocate and kind of activist when I was a teenager. And, um, and then in high school, I was like working on starting a gay straight Alliance, like pre 2000 in like a private school in Georgia. Like it was like a lot oh. of intense stuff, you know? Um, and then I like, had some traumatic stuff happen towards the end of high school and just kind of, I felt like really dropped that activism, that advocacy, and really just became more focused on myself, which is what I needed to do at the time. But I just really feel like that has turned around and kind of felt that energy again to like, um, to be, to be more active in the mm -hmm. community and also just to be more of an advocate. Um, so yeah, that's been it for me. Hey, we love that. But all sounds so good. Um, definitely want to call out the workaholicness as a distraction from what's going on in your life. Like, hey, if you're a workaholic, that's great. Don't use it as a distraction from what's happening, particularly no. trans people. It's one of the things that we do. Okay, I'm going to turn to some of the messages I got. And then I think we're going to get maybe an update from Vanessa and all of the politics in her life. So. Uh, a friend of mine, Christy, uh, in the UK, finally got to start on gender-affirming care officially instead of having to do it DIY. So congratulations, Christy. We love that for you. My friend Kat, who I mentioned earlier, uh, actually was in, um, she's trans, she was in discourse on LinkedIn somewhere and was talking about why it's important to use your pronouns and got assumed to be cis. And she just thoroughly loved that by a, by a troll. 
That's awesome. So she was like, I'm not, and fuck you. Um, I think we all have to recognize the amazingness that was Pedro and the Lux this yes. week at the Emmys, right? Yes. That was yes. ooh, that was so such good stuff. Weirdly, there's been a lot of kerfuffle about that online with various people saying it was not enough representation somehow. I, that's the camp you're in. Like, you're, y'all are watching the wrong podcast. Yeah, come the fuck on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then another friend of mine, uh, Jen, um, she sort of talked about things in a more sort of general sense um, in that she just has been experiencing tons of joy when she sees that who she is as a trans woman is reflected back to her by the people around her. Essentially that other people are seeing her the way she sees herself and how important it is to acknowledge that. But also she said that come to the point where she's celebrating her, her transness, the fact that she's a trans woman and seeing that as beautiful and being seen as beautiful in her transness. So that's mm-hmm. also important to call out. I think um, it's wonderful when people assume we're cis when we're not, it's wonderful to be given affirmations of being beautiful or handsome, but when people can celebrate your transness and see the the beauty of who you are, I think it's one of the most most affirming things that there is. Most so definitely. that's yeah. So, um, but otherwise, unless someone has something they want to say, let's turn it back over to Vanessa and see what's happening in the world of Ohio <laughs> politics. Oh, hi, officer. Anyone else have something before I start yammering? I will just throw in one thing. I just saw something right before we started, which is that. Um, and, and I just saw a clip of it. Um, it was on threads, but Alok has a film that's a short, maybe that's in it's Sundance, yes. I believe. And I just I saw so. a few clips of it. Um, I believe they said it was their first Sundance. Um, I, I should have paid more attention to it if oh, I was going to mention okay. it. But anyway, check it out. It looked just the clips that I saw were really cool. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only Alok fan here, but they're just like so wonderful. Um, and always like, just like, you know, a minute of a clip and I was coming out of that, like totally inspired. So I've never so, even heard of them. So. Oh, just, you should, you I should check out a look, huge, Alok. huge activist. Uh, and they really come at people with love, even when they're being awful. Well, that's good. It's amazing. You amazing. Know, Quite popular. A How do you spell that? A A-L-O-K. A-L-O-K. Yeah. Spends a lot of time with Jonathan Van Ness and Dylan Mulvaney and people of, of that level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Done some interviews with Amara Jones. That is yes, Amara Jones. Mm-hmm. That vibe here for the people viewing on yes. YouTube. There it is. So, yes. Yeah. That's we love Alok. Pretty mm-hmm. badass. Yeah. Uh, and they have they have a couple of books out. Some two books of poetry. And I think Penguin asked them to do a book on gender. Yes. And it's a short one and it's really good. I, I first really listened short. to it, an audio book and it was like about an hour long. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's a, it's a short book. Um, I think it's, I think it's actually beyond the binary or the, beyond the gender binary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there, if you, uh, if you need to hit a trans joy, Alok always does it for me. <laughs> Alok, 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 alok. I just want to keep on saying like alok, 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 alok. And also, they are into high end fashion. Yes. In all of their looks. Yes. Anyways, okay. Back over to you, Vanessa. Okay. Well, hello, everybody. Um, 
So uh, last week I talked about my candidacy and all the fun stuff. Um, if you didn't hear that one, just as a catch up, <clears throat> I was running for office for the Ohio House of Representatives. And um, while I had enough signatures to get on the ballot, there is a very, very little known law in Ohio that states that if you have changed your name within the past five years, you have to put your former name, or in my case, my dead name, on the petitions. And the issue being with this is that the candidate guide has no information about that on it at all. The petitions have no place to put that on there. Most of the boards of election don't even know that this law exists. It sounds like the mm-hmm. Secretary of State didn't really know that it existed. The Democratic Party didn't know that it existed. Um, but I was singled out by my someone at my board of elections because um, I turned in my name change paperwork with it too. Because when you're cha- when you're trans and you change your name, you just automatically bring your name change thing mm-hmm. whenever there's anything government related. Yep. So yeah, Erica. <laughs> your face you know you just have a copy in your bag exactly so um i was disqualified to this law because i didn't put my former name on there um there are four trans candidates in ohio currently um and two other ones are trans women who also recently changed their names and also did not know about this law and also did not put their former names on their petitions so i was instantly disqualified um and I have some juicy details on that. I'll get into them in a second. Um, but the other two were certified um, to be able to be on the ballot. But then once the news of my disqualification became national, like the, the, the last episode we recorded on a Wednesday, which is the day after I got disqualified. And by Friday, I was on MSNBC Live. Like it yeah. blew up fast. I had no idea that would happen. Um, and... So the other two candidates got called into their boards of elections this week. Um, Bobby Arnold was called in on Tuesday and Arian Childry was called in today. And both of them were allowed to remain on the ballot. Their boards of elections, which are bipartisan, mind you. Um, And in Bobby's case, the head of the board um, was firmly on her side and he's a Republican. So it shows that they don't all hate us, but... They said that this information was not communicated to the candidates and that the candidates should be able to continue to run. Um, even Governor DeWine, who is famously anti-trans, he's currently trying to make it impossible for trans adults and children to get gender-affirming care in the state. Even he spoke out saying that this law is unfair to trans people and it should not be keeping us off the ballot. So my update is... is I was disqualified the day before we recorded our last episode. Um, mm-hmm. And then the week later, I went in for a hearing where they disqualified me again. Um, they wouldn't hear it. So they're like, no, this, the law is the law. So go suck a rock or something or suck an egg or whatever. So, And then afterwards, I heard that they they wanted to leave it up to the courts. They didn't want it to be their decision. So, But then... That was last week. This week, the other two candidates are allowed to stay on the ballot. So now I am the only one still disqualified. And here's where the juicy details come in. Um, The head of the Stark County Democratic Party, a guy named Demetrios Boussades, I I do not know how to pronounce his last name. It's it's a long Greek last name. 
But um, throughout my entire signature campaign where I was trying to build up my signatures, I reached out to him because head of the Democratic Party in my county, you think that he would want to be involved with the candidates. Nothing. I could not get a hold of him. I was only given his email address. They would not give me his phone number. Um, and he didn't respond, didn't respond. I'm like, great. Okay. I guess I'll do this alone. And it turns out I'm not the only one they didn't respond to either. There's other candidates as well that he didn't respond to. So, um, but I heard through the grapevine. Well, let me back up a second. Demetrios, in addition to being the chairman of the Stark County Democrats, is also one of the four board members at the Stark County Board of Elections. Mm. So he voted against my candidacy twice. I've been chatting, I've been making acquaintances, I can say, with a number of reporters, and I've been talking to one from the Plain Dealer, and he told me yesterday or the day before, and it all runs together now, that he had been told that Demetrios was not a fan of me running. He did not want to meet me to be a candidate. So what it appears to be is a member of my own party worked against me to the point where the Republican in my district is now most likely running uncontested. There's supposedly a Democrat write-in, but who knows? So I've informed the Ohio Democratic Caucus about this, and they're pretty alarmed, to say the least. So they're trying to figure out what's going on with that. But um, I'm getting notes of discrimination, um, especially since um, one of my LinkedIn followers reached out to me and said, look up a person named <clears throat> Steph Pulisades. I don't know how to pronounce the name. I'm sorry. Um, but Steph goes by she, they. Steph is Demetrios's child. I am assuming, since Steph is very big on pronouns and posts on pronouns and stuff like that, that Steph is non-binary. So my theory, my conspiracy brain, is thinking that Demetrios is not proud of having a trans child. and it's taking that bias and bigotry towards other people in the community. Cause I don't see why he would personally have a problem with me. My first correspondence with him was saying, Hey, cause he had, he's, he just took over the, the, as chair, because I guess the last guy was even worse. Um, and the website was a complete mess. I said, Hey, I'll pop in, I'll fix your website for you. No charge, you know, just be volunteer on my part. Nothing. Didn't hear anything. Um, so I wrote a letter today um, right after I heard that Ariane was allowed to stay on the ballot and that I am now the sole disqualified candidate. I wrote a rather scathing letter to the Board of Elections and hand-delivered it where I straight up called out Demetrios and called out my suspicion of discrimination. So, um, yeah, it's... We'll see what happens here. Um, if they're going to stick to their guns, they reporters keep calling the board of elections over and over and over again, trying to get a statement. The board of elections says, don't talk to us, talk to the secretary of state. So then the reporters call the secretary of state's office. The secretary of state says, this is not up to us. This is in the hands of the individual boards of election. So the reporters are just being sent in the endless circle yeah, and no one can get an answer. 
but I'm hoping someone here will be able to get an answer soon. Um, how they respond to my letter will be very telling. I requested another review based on the fact that two other candidates have been allowed to remain on the ballot. Right. And that Stark County is now the sole outlier on that. So we'll see. I Do I think it'll do anything? Probably not. But I figured I would be remiss if for not just myself, but for the community at large, my district, everybody, if I didn't at least try. So, yeah. Well, good on you for writing the letter, calling it out, continuing to make it an issue, right? It's, it sounds like a pretty open and closed case for discrimination. We shall see I hope what so. happens. But- I mean, you'd, you would think that Demetrios, after I became national to international news, you think I would have heard from the guy as the head of the Democratic Party in my in my area, you know, with all this news going on. Like, I thought the news cycle would die out quickly, but it's two weeks later and I'm still getting interviewed. So whatever this is, is big enough that it's causing waves to the point where the governor now knows who I am. So, um, yeah. So, How much of this do you think is in violation of human right? Because, I mean, do, do you think you need to go to Ohio's human rights law? Well, um, the queer community is not protected in Ohio. Um, we're one of the states that we're not. So um, we can be discriminated against. Um, but... I, I'm working with the Ohio Democratic Party to try to secure legal representation to at least challenge the law um, mm. and go from there. So, because the fact the law was has been enforced unevenly yeah. on different people, so it was enforced against me and then not against the other candidates. So that right there is a flag that there's a problem there. So yeah, absolutely. So that's it's a that's civil a, rights thing, I think. Yeah, that's pretty clear. I mean, even beyond the. Yes, even beyond the, you know, um, trans or queer LGBTQ discrimination that is its own thing, mm-hmm. the the uneven inf- um, application of the law. And I mean, just the fact that the the one your board of elections is trying to uphold the law without properly notifying the, you know, without having proper notification for the candidates yeah. who are running um, is just pretty clearly, um, you know, wrong mm-hmm. like plainly and um and and it's and it's interesting because it's you know now it's a bigger deal because of how they've handled it yeah you know exactly. which is good for you and and you know uh maybe eventually for your candidacy even the next go around if you wanted mm-hmm. to do it again but um if you're not allowed to run this time but uh-huh. yeah it's um i mean yeah just that clear um as you said uneven application of the laws is, is um i mean that just shouldn't be upheld yeah exactly so. so now the law has to be amended somehow before the november election because even though the candidates and if i'm allowed to run even if i'm allowed to run and get on if i got elected we would technically be illegally elected um because the law states that anyone who violates the law is to be immediately removed from office and have to pay back their entire um, salary. So something is going to have to happen within the next few months to sort this out. So. All right. Well, 
Thank you for the update on what's happening. I know that you will continue to keep us posted and we'll probably start to see you show up in more interviews. If you're curious, um, just follow me on uh, Instagram, yeah. Venestradial. You know, I keep that's where I do most of my updates. So, yeah. all right. Well, I think that's it for our episode. A uh, little bit of joy, a little bit of uh, politics, a little bit of uh, human rights, all in one episode. Um, so, I think that I think that's it for us. I, I just want to thank everybody for coming on tonight and sharing the joy with me, but also talking about politics. Thank you. Don't forget, like, comment, subscribe. Um, tell people about the show. We need some patrons. We're losing patrons. We're supposed to be getting more, not losing them. Yeah. So we yeah, have send an internationally a- famous woman here. Like, yeah. come on. Send us your five dollars a month. I mean, come on, it's yeah. just five bucks. Easy. So easy. That's yes, one drink from Starbucks. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So whatever. Whatever. Oh my god. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Anyone have any closing thoughts? Stay cool. Keep your heads up. Rock on. Stay cool. All right. Keep your heads up. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you for listening and watching. Thank <laughs> you.